This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by those awesome gentlemen at Bird Campbell PA, your Duke-centric law firm with offices in Florida and Texas. Bird Campbell means business. Duke fans, we are back with episode 126 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. First and foremost, this is Donald here in Washington, D.C. I'm going to be uh, the host this week, and we come to you on this Sunday morning, September 16th, hoping that all of you that are in or around the Carolinas are safe after Hurricane Florence. We know some of you are likely without power or suffered property damage during this vicious storm, but we sincerely hope all of you are okay. That's priority number one for us. Uh, I'm going to bring in our co-host here. First off, Sam, down in Durham. Great to hear from you. And hopefully you guys were spared uh, some of the worst that uh, Florence down there. Yeah, so we actually had classes canceled. The whole university was closed up Thursday and Friday. But we the storm actually ended up moving south of us, as I'm sure a lot of folks know, that the storm ended up really hitting southern North Carolina and, and, and the coast of South Carolina the worst. So here in Durham, we only had a brief... <laughs> big rain and and wind it was it was rainy and windy a good chunk of the weekend but it it never got all that severe i didn't lose power except for one temporary blackout uh when and the power went out and came right back on i had a couple friends who did but overall i don't think the damage here was so bad but it does mean that i haven't had anything really productive to do in like 4 days so uh i, I will note that i have been doing my homework and trying to stay ahead but man it is we're, I'm on. I'm on day four of of being at home, and uh, I'm starting to get a little restless. A little cabin fever, I assume. That that's yes, always sir. uh It's always something that happens during hurricanes. But uh, glad you're safe down there. Glad everybody in Durham is okay. Uh, and down in Atlanta, we have Jason Evans. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing well. We we really haven't caught um, much at all of the storm. There there was a um, a forecast track for it a few days ago that was going to uh, take it um, over Atlanta. Um, and we were like, uh oh, because we don't, you know, you, you, you get 30 mile an hour winds in Atlanta, you get a million people without power. <laughs> it can be brutal, but but it has avoided us uh, as well. So um, uh, so we're doing we're doing fine down here in Atlanta. And I had a great deal of fun watching Duke football this weekend, but we're not going to get to that yet, are we? Not yet, not yet. And and for the you know the hurricane tip, I think is going to slightly affect all of us because uh, uh, we're getting the remnants here in D.C. over the next couple of days. It's supposed to arrive uh, later on this evening. Uh, we'll get a lot of rain over the next few days, but nothing in comparison to what uh, the, the Southern Carolinas are doing uh, right now. But before we get into football, before we even get into basketball, uh, we have a special thing we want to talk about. And Sam, I'll give it to you to to share the details. Sure. So we are looking at planning a Duke Basketball Report podcast live show um, <laughs> in celebration of of me being here. Therefore, the logistics are finally, I think, easy enough for us to work out. Previously, you know, you guys are in different East Coast cities. I was out West and getting us all together for a game, I think, would have been hard. But the the idea we're going with for this is that we want Donald and Jason to come here to Durham for a basketball game sometime during the season and we'll then do a live show somewhere around Duke and, and Durham 
soon after the game ends. So the idea being maybe maybe we start like an hour after the game. The idea being that if you are at the game or if you are around Durham, um, you'd be able to attend. So we haven't picked a specific date or a venue yet. What we want to do first is get an idea of the interest in doing a thing like this because then we can try to figure out how many, uh, like what what size venue we would get. And I'm, I'm looking at a couple different venues that would be able to provide some light food and beverage at the thing. So we've set up a survey. We, we already posted this actually on the DBR forum, but we wanted to mention it here on the show, knowing that not everyone reads the forum. So um, we, we have a, a survey that, that we wrote up. It's very quick. Uh, if you go to tinyurl.com slash DBR live, DBR live. Um, tinyurl.com slash dbrlive. That's the survey that just asks, would you be interested in, in attending this game? We would do it. Um, we would do it following a weekend game. So one of the Saturday or Sunday men's basketball games in Cameron, folks would be able to get to the game. We obviously can't provide tickets for the game. That is a, that is a different beast in and of <laughs> you know itself. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Let, let, yeah. let's just say it. Let's just say it. we're, we're looking what? at the army game on Saturday, November 11th. All right, because fine. Because if you look at the schedule, or, the schedule no, 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 that'd be Sunday, they're, Sunday, November eleventh. Sunday, I'm uh, sorry, Sunday. No, they're, they're they're not a lot of other options. <laughs> well, there are a couple other Saturday games, aren't there? Yeah, we, I mean, we could do Stetson on December first, but but folks, just so you know, we're kind of planning on the Sunday, November eleventh, probably, probably. Way to way to just blow up my spot here, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. All right. So that being said. Sunday Army game. One the game is at one p.m. We'd probably start the show like around four o'clock. Um, the UNC football game is also that weekend, so we should have a lot to talk about, and it sh- hopefully it'll be a very fun weekend for Duke. So if you think you could make it to that thing, knowing that it's somewhere around Duke and Durham, because I don't exactly know what where it's going to be yet, but if you think you could make it, please fill out the survey, let us know, because that'll help us kind of gauge attendance, and then I can figure out which of those places is going to make the most sense. Um, So check that out, and that's good. If you have questions about that, email them to us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com, and we will, um, I'll I'll let you know kind of what's going on. And Sam's hooking Donald and me up with tickets, right, Sam? You got tickets for us? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I'm still working on that. (laughs) We'll figure it out. Uh, well, before we get into uh, Duke football, which had a great weekend, uh, guys, what podcast is this? Uh, I, I think this is Duke football report, but maybe we're still Duke basketball report. We are still the Duke basketball report. You're damn right we are. And you know what we got last week? We got a full basketball schedule. Uh, this past week, the ACC released a full conference schedule uh, to add to the non-conference schedule, which we had already uh, had already been released. Uh, so Duke's full 2018-19 season slate is set. And we are kicking off with Countdown to Craziness on Friday, October 19th, and going all the way to Dayton Chapel Hill against the Tar Heels on Saturday, March 9th. Sam, I'm going to start with you. Give us your thoughts on the schedule and what you like and dislike about it. So the conference schedule starts after a really long layoff this year. I know that usually Duke takes time off for a little bit for exams, like a week for exams, and then they maybe take a week for Christmas. This year... After that Texas Tech game on December 20th, which is still well before Christmas break starts, the Blue Devils then are off for over two weeks before hosting Clemson. So it's going to be it's going to feel like a big break uh, for the fans and for us and for the team. Uh, So expect that expect that first Clemson game to be a challenge. And also because the students don't come back to Duke until the following week. But the nice thing is that 
that'll be perhaps the only game that is really lightly attended by students because there aren't any other games over winter break. The Princeton game is right after exams end. So I don't know, maybe, maybe kids will stick around. But after that, there's a couple things that I like to look for in the schedule. And I know Jason is going to talk more specifically about, about the opponents and how they break down. What I like to look for and what I find is interesting are the quick turnarounds in the past Duke and some other ACC teams have been given tough breaks on having like a Saturday game and then like a Saturday night game and then a Monday game or they have a Sunday afternoon game and then they have a Tuesday game. This schedule doesn't really have as many of those traps. There are only two quick turnaround game, quick in, in, in air quotes, turnaround games. Those are both Saturday afternoon to Monday night games. And, um, and the first of those is a road game followed by a home game, which is a little easier. That's, um, it's, we're at Florida state in January and then come home on a Monday night against Syracuse. And then a couple weeks later, Duke hosts Georgia tech on a Saturday afternoon and then heads to Notre Dame. So the, the first thing that I think about are those quick turnarounds and Duke is not an especially large victim to that. The other one that I look at is how the UNC game is placed in the schedule and, and, and what, what else is in its vicinity. So this year, the UNC game, the first UNC game, the one in Cameron, is a little bit later than usual. It's February 20th. Uh, I think that's a week later than it usually is. But it's on a Wednesday. The games around it, though they are hard, are both on Saturdays. So there's plenty of time for Duke to get excited about the UNC game and then also recover from it no matter what happens. Now, the, the, the other thing that I wanted to note and that I think I think Jason is going to talk more about is that Duke has a really hard ACC schedule this year. They oh, obviously yeah. they obviously play UNC and Wake twice. That that's every year. But the other two teams that Duke drew twice this year are Virginia and Syracuse, who both look to be really competitive in the ACC and nationally. So Duke has to get both of those teams twice there, and UNC and Syracuse and and Virginia are all kind of clumped together in February. So that that's going to be really hard. And Duke also has road games um, in tough environments where we know uh, the Blue Devils have struggled before, like Louisville and Virginia Tech and Florida State. And then the only other note that I wanted to make sure I threw in here was that um, Duke's first game against Jeff Capel's Pittsburgh Panthers up at the Oakland Zoo is January 20th. They uh, Capel won't return to Cameron this year, so that we'll have to wait for next January year. 22nd. 22nd. January that's 22nd. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, that that's kind of my like bird's eye view of the of the schedule. I want to get I want to get more in the weeds on it, but I think Jason's got got better thoughts on it than I am because he's the you know he 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 gets more emotional about this than I do. I I am I am well into the weeds. I I am weed deep in this thing. So here's what I did when I looked at just the ACC portion of the schedule. We we knew the non-conference schedule for the most part. I I sort of broke it down into some tiers. There are really four teams in the ACC that that think they are final four contenders you, you know there are other teams that have aspirations for it but there are four teams in the ACC that that really look at this season and they go you know what I mean according to the preseason polls according to what everyone's talking about we've got a really good we've got the kind of team that could make the final four wouldn't be a shock if we were in the final four and those four teams are Duke well, we can't play ourselves, but the other three are Virginia, UNC, and Syracuse. If you look at preseason rankings, Virginia's in everyone's top five, UNC's in everyone's top 
five, eight, ten, and Syracuse is generally around number twelve or so. You know, this is a, these are teams that all are going to you know expect to make the Sweet Sixteen and have a shot at the Final Four. So as you mentioned, UNC twice and Syracuse twice. That's really, really difficult. I mean, really difficult. Uh, then the next tier, there, there's three more teams that that show up in some like top 25s, top 20s. Um, you know, these are teams that that probably have good aspirations of making the Sweet 16 or so. Certainly teams that expect to make the NCAA tournament, Virginia Tech, Florida State, and Clemson. We have each one of those teams once. Um, and then there, there are four sort of bubble teams, NC State, Notre Dame, sorry, five bubble teams, really. NC State, Notre Dame, Boston College, Miami, and Louisville, who everyone says, you know, these are probably like, you know, in the 30s or 40s nationally. We play each one of them once. And then there are only three teams in the ACC that probably, you know, are not looking at any postseason, probably not contenders to make the NCAA tournament at all. That's Wake, Georgia Tech, and Pitt. And we we play Wake twice, but Georgia Tech and Pitt once. So as you indicated, the schedule, um, uh, you know, the, the teams that we drew twice, the tougher games are the really good teams. And I want to go even deeper in the weeds on it. I want to talk about a stretch that Duke has. Gentlemen, Duke has a, it's a seven game stretch that I, I don't see any way that we win more than four of them. We play at Virginia on February 9th. We then play at Louisville on February 12th. Louisville, by the way, is a team that we are just five and five against over our past 10 games. Um, and, and at Louisville, I mean, you just don't win at Louisville. We then have NC State at home. That's the only quote unquote easy game in this stretch. Um, it's just brutal. Um, and NC State, by the way, beat us last year. All a rivalry game, they'll be up for it. We then have Carolina at home. Then we go on the road for Syracuse and Virginia Tech, who, as I already mentioned, Syracuse in everyone's you know top fifteen, Virginia Tech in everyone's top twenty. That's a gauntlet. That is so difficult. Again, at UVA, at Louisville, at home for NC State and UNC, and then at Syracuse and at Virginia Tech. Jason, um, Jason, do a quick. Yeah, do a, it's six, do a, not seven games. No, 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 no. I wasn't even going to correct that because. Oh, okay. Whatever. Math is is beneath me. But <laughs> imagine, imagine if that NC State game was on the road. Oh yeah, no way, no way. <laughs> yeah, we'd be like, we'd be like, the season is over. Uh, not that, not that we we've ever had a year where where we you know aren't freaking out about the conference slate in the middle of it. But man, if that if that NC State game was on the road, that would be. That would be so nuts. Uh, Those six games, you're going to be playing, you're going to be probably playing five ranked teams in those six games. It's only NC State, like I say, who's, uh, and and how can NC State, who always gets up for Duke, who, who, when they're, even when they're bad, they play well against Duke. How can that be your only easy game? Uh, We could go three and three in that six game stretch. We'll be be jumping for joy. It'll be amazing. And, And I'll tell you that I think, the schedule, I, I I don't think Duke can win the conference with this schedule. I really don't. I mean, we knew it was coming. We sort of knew we were getting Virginia and Syracuse twice this year, but um, it, I think the schedule is too hard and it's too backloaded. The front half of the schedule has all the easy games. The only easy games in the back half of the schedule are like, like I said, that NC State game and and Wake Forest at home. Wake at home is like the only easy game in this schedule. Uh, our other home games in the back half of the schedule are are 
NC State at home, North Carolina at home, Wake at home, and Miami at home. And Miami, by the way, is going to be fighting for an NCAA tournament bid when they play us. You know, it, it's so it's 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 a brutal, brutal schedule. I don't want folks to get down if this Duke team, if we, you know, if, if we go twelve and six against this ACC schedule, I'll be doing cartwheels. That's how hard it is. Well, I think the ACC is going to be hard, but. Before you do that, a couple of uh, uh, notes that I wanted that I saw when I first looked at the schedule. Uh, Sam mentioned the Pittsburgh game on January twenty second, and and while yes, that's the one game that we face Jeff Capel and we'll face him for the first time. I was uh, particularly interested to note that it's a nine p.m. start, which means that ESPN uh, really likes that storyline and that they're going to probably have uh, a few days where they're hyping that storyline of, of Jeff Capel playing against uh, or you know coaching against a. Uh, uh, his coach, coach, coach K um, for that game. So I, I thought that was particularly interesting. Um, you noted that how late the, the UNC game, the first one is uh, we actually have not played that late since 2014 when we had that snowstorm in Durham that canceled the first game uh, that was supposed to be in Chapel Hill. And we ended up playing on February 20th uh, was the re- was the rescheduled date. So I noted that as well, but I, I, I agree with you, uh, Jason, in this sense, I do think that the back half is completely loaded. What this could mean is that maybe, you know, in previous years, we've had some teams that just don't gel properly. And with, you know, freshmen, you you don't really, you get thrown into ACC season immediately and they just don't have a chance to really gel. We've seen that in the last couple of years, but I think this schedule actually sets up for us to be a gelled team by the time February comes around. So I'm not as doom and gloom on the back half of the schedule as as you might be, only because I think this gives our young guys a chance to really find out what this team can be and work to that point. Yeah, we're going to have a couple of missteps in, in February, most likely. It's it's very hard to go undefeated, but you're, and you're going to have missteps. But I think if we are clicking by the time February starts, I, I'm, I'm not going to be as worried because I think that this team, if it's if it's clicking and we have all our guys going in the right in the right pace and working well together, I, I don't look at any of these teams and say, oh, my God, the, they're going to absolutely beat us even on the road. So uh, I do like how it's ba- it, I do like how that sets up for our team, the, the core of our team and the gelling of our team. But I agree that this back half is going to be one where we're going to need oxygen. Hey, 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 guys, can can I just comment on? One thing about the the nature of the way the schedule sets up, there there are a couple times where where we are just going to be a, exhausted teams. Like we play Syracuse and Virginia back to back, those are going to be two you know like slog games. Two teams where you know hey can either team can you get to fifty points uh, because they play such tough physical defense they force you into bad shots. And then later in the year we play Virginia and Louisville back to back, and you know. The closest comparison to Syracuse and Virginia is Louisville in terms of playing physical defense and really being tough on you. Um, I, I think those two stretches in in mid January and then early February, the the Syracuse Virginia and then the Virginia Louisville stretch, um, really, really, you know, going to be th- those are those are games that will weigh on the psyche of of our of our young guys who are probably. Um, they're probably really used to having things go well for them. <laughs> and uh, it, it's tough to have things go well against Syracuse, Virginia, and Louisville. 
Um, one also thing that I noted on the schedule, I, I don't know if this is ESPN's doing or if this is the ACC's doing, but they sure do like to put us against Notre Dame in the last Monday in January. Uh, I, I don't know how that works, but like the la- I feel like the last few years we've played at South Bend in the last like week or so of January. Uh, and it's usually after a Saturday home uh, Saturday home game. Um, then we go to the road there. So I thought that was interesting to note that we have once again uh, on Monday, January 28th, a 7 p.m. game in South Bend against Notre Dame where traditionally we have not played well. Today's episode is sponsored by Dominate Test Prep. Founded by Duke alum Brett Etheridge, Dominate Test Prep provides online courses for the GMAT and GRE that are flexible, affordable, and most importantly, that teach Brett's proven test-taking strategies and produce high scores on test day. If you or someone you know is looking to get into a top school like Duke, let alone let a guy who bleeds Duke blue help. You can learn more at dominatetestprep.com. Use the coupon code GODEVILS to save 10% off any course package. So now we get into the football side of things. And Duke Gang traveled down to Waco, Texas to take on the Baylor Bears uh, yesterday. It was a matchup where Duke, in my mind, completely dominated the first half and eventually held on, despite some mistakes in the second half, to win 40-27. to we are now 3-0 and on the season, and we're looking quite good in the process. But before we get into the recap of this game, you may recall our last episode where Jason had some pointed things to say about Baylor's defense. Well, a Baylor fan forum caught wind of our podcast and Jason's thoughts on Baylor, and we're none too happy about it. The, the funny thing is, is some actually agreed with Jason's assessment, but others were angry and taking shots at Jason and the show. So Jason... I'm going to start with you. A 40 to 27 victory. What do you have to say to those critics now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I just continue laughing for a little while? You sure while? can. You have the floor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 I do want to say to the Baylor fans, uh, they, they were actually really nice. They were pretty respectful, I thought. Um, uh, in the interactions that we had, I, I actually went to the bulletin board that was talking about the podcast and talking about my uh, analysis. They called me a football analyst. I was like, I'm really not a football analyst, guys. You didn't take us for the ride. That's, that's messed up, yeah. man. Uh, I, yeah, I freely admit that um, I, I, I did a little bit of research on Baylor, not a ton of research. Confession time, people. We don't have time sometimes to do like really exhaustive take notes and watch game film kind of research on Duke's opponents. Um, so so I, I told the Baylor fans, look, I may have gotten things wrong, but but I was shocked by how many of them were agreeing with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, like if you'd come to the Duke bulletin board and, and, and talk some trash, um, I, I think, you know, I would have been surprised if you've seen a lot of uh, agreement from Duke fans. They would have defended, you know, pretty strenuously and the Baylor fans were like yeah he he's kind of right our defense isn't that good their defense was really awful because um I I Duke was playing with a backup quarterback and Quentin Harris showed it um that said once Quentin Harris got settled down this game turned into a blowout and I'm not sure anyone thought that that was going to happen um and, and it was it was absolutely great to see um, Harris is the story of the game. How can he not be? Um, he starts out the game. I think he was one for eight, one for seven or one for eight 
throwing nothing but like short screen passes and he couldn't even complete like passes to his running backs. Um, he looked like a guy who was uncomfortable. He looked like a guy who wasn't clear where he wanted to go. He looked nervous on about half of the passing plays. He would pull it down and, and try to run. And he was running out of fear, not out of designed runs. And then it's like something clicked. <laughs> he realized, you know what? I can do this. I can do this against the Baylor defense at least. And suddenly he was really good. Now, let's be clear. He finished 12 for 30. And and he's got to get – his accuracy's got to get better than that. But a lot of that was because when Quentin Harris got in trouble, he just threw the ball away. He's like, what's an incompletion? It means nothing. He never forced anything. He didn't try and force the ball into, into tight spaces. He knew an incomplete pass was better than a sack. He was really, really smart. I mean, you know, fourth year, redshirt junior, you, you, you could see those years of experience. Um, this is a guy who had 15 career passes before this, so he doubled the number of passes in his career in this game. And, uh, and I just loved the, the, the TD pass to TJ Ramming in the first half. Uh, Harris had done nothing but these little – I mentioned nothing but these short screen passes. And so um, – he pump fakes a a screen and the entire Baylor defense is they think this guy does, doesn't throw deep. He's going to do nothing but throw short passes. So the entire Baylor defense jumps on it. TJ sprints wide open and we get an easy touchdown. And it was like it, that was to me, that was the moment when I was like, Quentin Harris is a smart quarterback. He knows what he's doing. And then the TD pass to to Lloyd. Um, with two minutes left in the first half where Lloyd catches it one-handed. It was a great delivery and an incredible one-handed catch. Uh, Lloyd's right hand never touches the ball the entire play. And uh, and that Baylor defense, the Baylor safe and assist on the play because he absolutely takes out the cornerback and, and lets Lloyd run the last 40 yards with no one near him. That that put Duke, uh, I think that made it 23 to nothing at yep. the half. And you're like, you're like, the, you know, the ball game for all intents and purposes was pretty much over. Um, I, I, and I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone thought that this would be a game that would be over at halftime. Duke was a six and a half point underdog in Vegas at the start of the week. Eventually, the line moved to only Duke down, uh, Baylor by three and a half. But but uh, it was Baylor by six and a half when the week started, and I said quite loudly. If I was in Las Vegas, I would put a lot of money on Duke. Folks, I hope you went to your bookie and you made big money on this game because this was easy money. Duke was clearly the better team. Sam? Yeah, so Jason said a lot of the uh, – he covered a lot of the good stuff. The, the things that I wanted to um, go back to, the the Duke defense continues to struggle with injuries. So Gilbert, we knew, was is, is now out for the rest of the season. Um Cornerback Michael Carter also left early in the game with an injury, and the defense once again was was very bend but don't break. Baylor ended up churning out a a, a lot of yards on offense, but they missed two field goals, which which Duke was able to capitalize on. And then I thought one of the one of the big plays of the game, although as Jason noted, the game felt like it was sort of over at halftime. One of the big plays was that pick six by Leonard Johnson. It, in the fourth quarter when Baylor was sort of in its last ditch. And we had talked previously about Duke had, what was it, a seven-game streak of not allowing points in the fourth quarter. They finally mm -hmm. did give up fourth-quarter points uh, on Saturday against Baylor, but it was too little too late because they had built that huge lead in the first half, and and the defense seemed to to turn it back on right in time. But but all over the place, making good plays, um, and, and the interception and – 
and another fumble recovery led to a two nothing turnover margin for Duke. They continue to to control the ball well and and to take it away at opportune times. The other thing that impressed me was the uh, was that Duke didn't commit any penalties uh, against Baylor. They they're they're very disciplined. They don't they don't make mistakes like that. Like Jason was saying, Harris was only twelve for thirty, and despite that, it seemed like he was. You know, he 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 sort of knew what he was doing. He wasn't he wasn't playing as well as as he wanted to, or, or probably as Coach Cutcliffe wanted him to be. But he was taking care of the ball. The offensive line was was protecting him enough, which I don't think they did to for for Daniel Jones because uh, that injury came on a sack. Uh, the the injury that's going to keep Jones now out for a few more weeks. But I. I liked the way the the offense sort of stayed controlled. They didn't turn the ball over. They didn't commit penalties. There weren't there weren't stupid unforced errors. And then honestly, the, going back on the defense, they they did get a little lucky that that Baylor missed those field goals and that there were some there were some dropped passes by Baylor that that the defense wasn't near. So in in that regard, I think the defense still has some yeah, did, improvements to way, make. Did- did the ball have grease on it in the first half? Whenever Baylor yeah. had the ball, I think it was covered with grease because they they had five drops in the first half, and several of them were like ridiculous. Uh, literally, ball hits you in the stomach, and you can't hold on to it. Mm-hmm. Hey, if if they don't want to be disciplined, they don't have to be. There, there's there's no rule I agree. about that. And 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 on that on that same topic, I did enjoy how chippy the Duke players on both sides of the ball were getting with Baylor. I know that one of the one of the touchdowns was it was it Ramming's touchdown where he. Where he ran it in, or where where he caught it and turned turned immediately to start jawing at the at yeah, the, it was um, the first one at the, the first, first one at the Baylor corner. defensive back. He like he wasn't even done. He wasn't even done like completing the play and was already yelling at him. So uh, I like that. I I think that our players uh, deserve to to be able to to show a little fire on the field, and they played well. And 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 Baylor didn't come within ten points uh, at all in the second half. So a, a really remarkable performance by Duke. I'm. Even though Harris didn't have the best day statistically, I am impressed with with the way that he kind of handled the game and knew when to. He he made a few option reads. I liked um, I liked on that first touchdown of the game where he sort of took a took a view of the play uh, and then quick option handed it off to to Deion Jackson for the easy score. Um, it seemed like he he had a, a solid handle on the game plan. He has another week coming up against NC Central that shouldn't be too difficult. We know that that NC Central does not bring the kind of athletes that Baylor or Virginia Tech bring to a game. So the game this week hopefully should be easier for Duke so that they can really get ready for that big matchup against Virginia Tech that is looking like it's going to be, you know, two undefeateds, a lot like the game Duke played last year against Miami at the end of September, where they looked pretty strong early in the season. So I'm not that I want to overlook North Carolina Central, but I am very much looking forward to that Virginia Tech game here at Wallace Wade. You guys mentioned a couple of things, or a lot of things that I was going to mention. So I'll mention, note a couple more things. Uh, the first thing was they have a they have a saying in the Duke program for football is, is next man up. And, and that's something that has really played over the last couple of weeks with injuries. And I feel like, you know, every single guy on the team made a play uh, during this game, whether it was offense, whether it was defense, even special teams had uh, the block field goal to, to keep the goose egg on the, on the scoreboard. Uh, they all made different plays at different times. And if someone went down, another guy was ready to take their place. I think that's a great, you know, mentality to have that everyone 
uh, seemed like they were ready for this game. They knew that Baylor was going to be fast. They knew that Baylor was going to run the ball. Um, they knew that Baylor could could beat them on the throw as well. And every single player on the team was ready to play that game. You need those type of victories, uh, it, you know, those type of games um, if you want to go far um, in college football. So I, I really liked that about this team. The other thing was uh, getting back to Quentin Harris. Um, I, I don't know if you guys noticed this during the game, but that kid was smiling the entire game. Um, he was clearly having a lot of fun. Even when you know things were a struggle early on, he would go back to the sideline and he was smiling. And it was clear that he was like, hey, you know, I'm going to get the hang of this. Don't worry, everyone. And I think that calmed everybody down. Um, the defense was eager to go out and play to get them back on offense so that they can, you know, get some points on the board. Uh, the offense was was ready to contribute for him, you know, and, and when he settled down, that's when this team really took off. I mean, they were already calm, the, you know, a couple of three and outs or a couple of uh, uh, four and outs or whatever. We're, we're, we're not anything that we're demoralizing to the team. And I think that is something to be said um, in a high pressure situation of his, you know, you know, a guy who's coming in after the star quarterback goes down and puts on a performance like that with a smile on his face the entire game. I really, really like that. Say, uh, Jason, did you have something else before we wrap up? Yeah, so uh, I wanted to talk uh, about how disciplined and how well coached this this Duke team is. Just really quickly, um, it is it's amazing. We are a team that does not make mistakes at all. We don't beat ourselves. We play really smart. We force the other team to always execute at the highest level, and when they don't, we punish them. Um, Sam may note of it, but it, it, it absolutely must be spoken about again. Duke had zero penalties in this game. That is a really rare thing in, in college football. It's, and it's a really big deal. Uh, we had four penalties against Northwestern, four against Army, and four is a good sort of stable number. Um, I, I can't compliment Coach Cut and his staff enough for how disciplined they've got these guys playing football. And, and that's the way you win football games. It's so impressive. Duke's turnover margin on the season is now six to one. We've got six takeaways, two in every game, and we've only given up. We have one turnover on the season. And we, we had a backup quarterback play in this game. I mean, it's amazing what these guys are doing. It's really impressive. And the last thing I want to note is – uh, we now have two road wins against Power 5 conference teams. We have gone on the road. Now, road win is difficult. A road win against a team from a, you know, from a major conference, that is, that is super hard to do. Uh, there is no other team in the country right now that can say that. I, I, I haven't double-checked that someone may come back and tell me that I'm wrong, but I can't imagine there's another team in the country that has two power five road wins at this point in the season. It's tremendously impressive. I just want to tip my cap to, to, to what the Duke coaches are doing to, to this, for this team to be executing at this level. I just wanted to add on top of that, Jason, that a few years ago when Duke announced that they were going to be playing a home and home with Baylor, I think the collective thought was, well, that, I guess that's cool. Cause we're, we're playing a, a a team from another major conference and and we get those extra games, but we're probably not going to win those games. It, it, it might just be fun exposure. Mm-hmm. And now some of this, some, some of these games are, are sort of on Baylor uh, and, and all the various scandals and issues that that program has had the last few years. But 
But looking back now, that home and home turned into two wins for Duke. And uh, th- that really says, on top of sort of what you were saying, it says a lot about this coaching staff and how well they've gotten the players to prepare for these games. Duke continues to be a really strong team on the road. And they provided, again, that they make it through NC Central. They'll get through this non-conference portion of the season this year undefeated. And and that is not something that, that we expected of Duke even a few years ago, uh, especially against a non-conference schedule that, while it doesn't feature the, the, the best of the best, Army, Northwestern, and Baylor are all competitive programs. And, and it's, it's really nice to see Duke handle all of them as easily as they did. You, you ready for a great stat? And, and, and then we can move on to an NC Central preview. In Duke's last 25 games against non-ACC teams, our last 25 non-conference games, 25 games, Duke is 22-3. and three. That's Not crazy. Bad. That's awesome. That is crazy. Great stat. Okay, next up, 3-0 Duke football will return home after two weeks away uh, from home to play in the Bull City Gridiron Classic against NC Central. It's homecoming, and this should be one of those games where it's a relatively easy affair. So instead of previewing this game, I, I want to do it in a way where I'm asking you both the question. I'm going to start with you, Jason. What's the one thing that Duke should focus on improving against NC Central? Well, I'll, I'll tell you that sometimes when we have something like this where we're each going to say something, I like to try and find something maybe a little more obscure or, or, or analytical or you know whatever it may be so that I'm not doing something really obvious. I'm going to go for the obvious. Sorry, guys. Uh, against NC Central, I want to see Quentin Harris's completion percentage be higher. I want him to work on his accuracy. I thought his decision-making was pretty good. He, he, he mostly went for the... The, the sort as I discussed the the easy and the safe decision all the time um, I wouldn't mind if he tried a little bit more I mean against a team like NC Central where where Duke is just physically going to uh, you know we're probably going to manhandle them at, at both lines of scrimmage in a, in a very big way um, I, I'd, I'd like to see Quentin Harris stretch himself some uh, because when we play Virginia Tech uh, he's going to have to do that um, and we don't know when um, Daniel Jones is going to be back for for Duke to be all that we can be. We're going to have to get a little bit better play out of Quentin Harris until Daniel Jones returns, hopefully at some point. So I'm Jones. I'd love. I want to see that completion percentage well above fifty percent against NC Central. That'd be a big thing for me. What about you, Sam? I want to see the starters play as little as possible this week because Virginia Tech is is tough and big and physical and and might be the the best team in the conference next to Clemson this year. Um, so I want to see the Duke starters have to play as little as possible. There have been a lot of injuries. I don't want to see any more to the key pieces. And even though the depth is improved, you really want you really want the starters to be to be in there for for most of the game against Virginia Tech. So the one thing that I think we should improve on is something that I've noticed over the last couple of weeks. And it's uh, our containment around the edge on defense for against the run. Um, against Baylor, there was a few times where they actually got out in the open space, and it was because guys came around the uh, around the edge, and we didn't have a guy there to contain the runner and drive them back towards the middle where our players are. Um, that's something that I think we could get exposed against uh, uh, Virginia Tech if we're not careful. So. Uh, against NC Central, they have some fast guys who 
will give us a good test around the edges. And I think if we can focus on containing, that's really going to help limit uh, the number of yards that uh, running backs will, will gain against us. That's going to help us win football games. Today's podcast is proudly sponsored by two Duke alums and former roommates, Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird, both diehard Duke followers and the founders of Bird Campbell PA, a Duke-centric business law firm with offices in Dallas, Orlando, and the Gulf Coast. Having watched or cheered Duke football and basketball teams through close to 3,000 games, you can say they are true blue. Reach out to those guys at birdcampbell.com. That's B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. If for nothing else but to say, to hell with Carolina, to hell with Carolina. All right, now we get to parting shots, and I will start with Sam. We've noted that Duke football has gotten some big wins on the road this year against Power 5 teams, and as of now, they are they are quickly climbing up the advanced metrics for the college football rankings. We We don't talk, I think, as much about the about the rankings for football as we do here uh, about Ken Palm on the, on the basketball side, but Duke does look really strong right now on the rankings. And there's a chance, there's a chance that come the Virginia tech game, we'll be hosting a top 25 matchup at Wallace Wade stadium. Now I can't guarantee that because Duke doesn't have much of an opportunity this week to prove anything to the voters, but, um, but they do look really strong. They, they're only a few spots out of both the AP top 25 and the coaches poll as of last week. And perhaps one more week and perhaps having that schedule say four and O rather than three and O is going to look a lot stronger. Um, but come that Virginia tech game, there should be a lot of hype. And especially when now if Duke beats Virginia tech, they're, they're in the top 25 that that's I think is almost a given, but, but look for them uh, climbing the rankings here in the next few weeks. And, and as we've noted, with, with a lot of backups in, in key roles right now for the Blue Devils. Duke number 17 in the Massey rankings. The, and that's as advanced, you know, there, like you said, there isn't really a Ken Palm. The Massey rankings are, are as close to Ken Palm as you can get. Duke is number 17 in the Massey rankings. Hey, if, if we keep winning, they can't keep us out. That's pretty much the, the bottom line. So let's just keep winning. Uh, Jason, your parting shot. Guys, have you all been watching the Duke Blue Planet videos? I have them all teed up to watch this week, but tell us about them because they, oh, they're very, very fascinating. Oh, they're 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 beautiful. First of all, they're they're really they're really well. I'm I'm a I'm a video producer type guy. Um, these are really nicely produced. Um, you know, they they have great access to the team. the The latest one, um, is about building the team. Uh, and, and folks, you just, you have to watch it. It's, it's a great eight minutes or so because it really shows you how much coach K and the coaching staff understands that it's, it's not just about what these guys do on the court. It's about making them into a cohesive unit off the court as well. Um, there's, they talk about, you know, they go to cookouts at coach K's house, the, the whole team goes zip lining together. They do things together. Um, 
uh, Nate James, um, one of the assistant coaches, talks about the fact that they, they don't want any clicks on the team. He doesn't want like the, the the veterans versus the young guys or anything like that. They they try and mix the team together in in various interesting ways. And you see these guys, you know, they do stuff as a team. They build a team, and it's it's fascinating to watch. And and I think you know unbelievable insight into what coach K has learned about creating a successful um and and you know we always everyone always talks about you know the five fingers becoming a fist um I I I, I, I think that coach K in this video you will see that he recognizes that that you become that fist, not just in practice, not just in games, but in everything you're doing as a part of the team. Um, and it's really, it's a great video. Go out and watch it. Go watch the Duke, I think it's dukeblueplanet.com. The latest video, um, to me, was the most insightful and most interesting one. Yeah, all the videos are, are on Duke Blue Planet's YouTube page. So that's usually where I consume them. It sounds like my Monday. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, for my parting shot, I want to point out that uh, some of you know that we that the Duke Basketball Report website has a Twitter account, and we are actually going to start to be more active with that Twitter account as we will take control of it uh, for some live tweeting during football and basketball games. Obviously, all the articles that are posted on the front page of DBR uh, are, are automatically populated there, and also for this podcast. So, you know, for questions that you want to leave us, or usually, or, or hijacking it for. Uh, for a show if we want to do a, a live forum where we're, where we're answering questions on the fly. So give us a follow. It is at DBRSBN. Again, at DBRSBN. We also hope to have the Facebook page that Duke Basketball Report has more active soon, and it's a great way for all of you out there to stay engaged with Duke basketball and football when you're not listening to us on this podcast. So again, on Twitter, at DBRSBN. I'll post it in the thread uh, for this uh, podcast on the forums, but uh, we hope you guys out there are following us. And and if you guys have suggestions on how we can better engage with you guys on Twitter, just let us know. And that's going to do it here for us on episode 126 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And we're hoping to get on Spotify very soon. We're still we still have to follow up with them this week. Uh, but please, if you do listen to the podcast and you like what you hear. Leave us a nice review because it helps us with our visibility and getting to as many Duke fans as possible like you. Uh, we certainly appreciate all of you. Um, and if you have questions, comments, or concerns, uh, send us an email at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That's it for now. Thank you all so much. And for Jason and Sam, I am Donald. We'll catch you next week. Duke band, take us home.